Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Working Cultures Success Stories, where we learn about the professional lives of artists, creatives, and cultural workers. In this podcast, we will hear how people in the arts and culture sector secure employment and the advice they have for those looking for work or hiring. We hope these podcasts will guide you through your professional journey in the arts. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Working Culture's Success Stories. Today, we are speaking with fundraising specialist Ruth Cumberbatch. Ruth has worked in the nonprofit sector for 20 years in various roles at performing arts, community arts, and social services organizations. Ruth now runs her own fundraising business, which helps build strong, calm work environments where fundraising teams can do their best work. So hello, Ruth. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mona. Thanks for having me. This is really great. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your business and how you decided to start? Simply put, I started it up to help make it easier for nonprofits to raise the funds that they need for their important work. And as you said, I've been working with nonprofits for uh, 20 years, and I really love it. Like I love the work they do, caring for artists, improving communities, and whether that's through community gardens or live performance or arts education, these things are so great. They're they're fabulous, and and the reality is they need funds. So I want to make it as easy as possible for them to raise the funds that they need. Another reason I started up fundraise.com is, you know, I've learned that people understand that fundraising is really important, but there is a lot of fear and anxiety. Like they feel the opposite of calm for a variety of reasons. Like board members might be uncomfortable with the idea of asking their connections for a donation. They don't even know how to do it or where to get started. And And then fundraising staff or fundraising managers, they might be given this revenue goal and they want to surpass it because the work is so important, but the goal just seems really daunting. So yeah, in my experience of fundraising, my favorite moments have been when I've been able to coach a board or a committee volunteer and put them at ease and just give them really simple tools that they can use so that fundraising feels easy and not even just easy, like kind of fun and they're really excited about it. And then, yeah, very often they just go off and they do better than I expected. They raise more money than I hoped and it's very positive. And same thing with the fundraising managers. You know, I talk with them about the pressures of getting the money, how to feel more confident that they can do everything that they need to do. And so... Again, just having these really user-friendly, simple planning processes that result in a really strong, calm work environment, and then their teams can raise more money. I'm wondering, as a fundraiser, is it a difficult time right now to you know, help these organizations at, in a time where there's scarce resources? Yeah, I would say there's more anxiety than usual around fundraising these days. And a big challenge is that nonprofits are trying to guess what donors are thinking. So, for example, the question has come up, is it appropriate to ask for donations during a pandemic? What if the donors are struggling financially right now? 
And it's a fair question, but I think fundraising is going to be easier and more successful if nonprofits so don't guess what donors are thinking, but actually try to have a conversation with them. And, you know, what they'll learn is that donors do have this strong desire in them to help. And that continues even in uncertain economic times. You know, I'm a donor and I have been since I was a kid. And over the years, my income has gone up and down. But if I'm going to cut back on expenses, it's never the amount that I donate. So the conversations I'm having with donors right now, I'm learning that they're really keen to help. Another anxiety about fundraising that I'm hearing is some are asking if donors want to support the arts right now. And my current donors really focused on the urgent, so-called urgent stuff, like donating to hospitals or for emergency food. But again, the best way to answer that is to talk to donors and funders. I think people might be surprised at the answer to that. I was actually at a webinar where a funder was talking about how the arts are so important right now in addressing our city's need for connection, for hope and optimism, for challenging discourse, for inspiring change. So this funder really believes in the value of the arts in a crisis. And I think others feel the same. You know, when you look around and see the amazing work that arts organizations are doing right now, it's a challenging time, but they're finding ways to inject color, movement, and sound into our homes and into our communities. And again, there's that need for critical discourse. The arts provides that space for education, for self-expression. So I think arts organizations can really celebrate how their work is benefiting people and invite donors to get involved with that. The bottom line is that funds and fundraising are needed right now. They're really needed more than ever. And I've been really happy to work with nonprofits to make this easier, make the whole fundraising process easier by helping them put a plan together to find and connect with those donors who still want to help, giving them those tools that they need to have those important conversations about how a donor can get involved and support the good work that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important work. So thank you for being out there and supporting the nonprofit sector. You know, you started this business not too long ago, am I correct? At the beginning of March? In, yeah, April, actually. So yeah, very, very, very new. Okay. It was like right at the beginning of when this crisis was happening. What was that like? To be honest, I've been thinking about this for years and sort of preparing myself. So I think absolutely entrepreneurship is, is a big leap to take. I wish I wasn't taking it during a pandemic, to be honest. But at the same time, it is definitely an interesting time to be doing something like this. And if I was going to say what it's been like for me, it's probably been a, been a little easier because throughout my career, I've never just stuck to one sector. I've uh, volunteered outside of, of the sector. So for example, I sat on committees for food security, for youth employment. And then I worked for many years in community arts doing fundraising. And in community art, there's lots of partnerships with social social service agencies and community health centers and homeless shelters. And so it broadened my network of people, it's expanded my vocabulary for sure. I definitely learned that the arts world definitely, the performing arts world has its own vocabulary 
the community arts world as two, and then beyond that, social services. So I've learned that I was sort of ready for that. And I feel like it's sort of a muscle that you have to make stronger, this ability to change and, and work with different, different kinds of people and in different cultures. So that's definitely been helpful in the process of starting, starting up a new business. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of been a pro at transitioning is what I'm understanding is that because of your, your background and the various roles that you've had in different industries or uh, communities. So you've been able to transition. How were you able to convince others that your skills apply to the new role? I think what you said is true. I've had lots of practice at it. And when I say practice, having those gigs on the side, it just builds your confidence. The work I was doing on the side often wasn't related to fundraising or the job that I was doing at the time. It was workshop facilitation. It was creating an online course. I've done that with work and culture. And I was lucky enough to, to work with people like Karen Ennis and and mine was Susan Cohen, who's retired now. But um, they just sort of believed in me. Oh, yeah, you can. You haven't done it before. It's okay. You can figure it out. So that's huge to have people in your life who who believe in you and and encourage you to try new things. But at the same time, as you're doing that, it's really good to sort of take note of what you're doing that's different. Think about your past experience. So when you think about artists, they do so much stuff. They're entrepreneurs often. They're running their own businesses. They're running events. They might be teaching as well. And so all those experiences that you've had, whether it's in school, university, at a summer job, you have to own those experiences, be aware of them and write them down so that when you're looking at a job posting that seems like it, it's out of your comfort zone, it's out of your sector, you might find that, wow, it is, but wow, I can do this stuff because I've done it something similar Especially things like if you have had management experience in the arts, you've got to own that and say, if I'm going to another sector, like I can run meetings, I can run a team, I can, I know HR, like those things are so key. You'll learn the vocabulary, you'll learn the culture of that new sector. So that's what I found. Own what you know, but then be really aware of what you don't know so that you know the right questions to ask and know the right kind of help. Take some courses if you need to. You know, I was thinking about too, when I first started fundraising in earnest, like I knew what to do in theory because I'd taken a course, but I was super nervous about, I hadn't been in a donor meeting before. And and then what, how do you follow up with a proposal and so on? And so I called up a friend who um, had a lot more experience than me and she walked me through the first few asks. So maybe we worked together and sort of a mentor, mentee kind of thing for about maybe six months to a year. And it was fantastic. It just made me feel so much more confident and comfortable. And and uh, I think that's a great thing to do too, if you're thinking about transitioning to something new. Is that the same advice you would give to someone who's starting out as an entrepreneur? We, we do have a lot of artists in the sector who think of themselves more as creatives and not necessarily business people. And a lot of the work that we do at Working Culture now is getting them to think of themselves more as an entrepreneur and that a lot of the things that they do to sustain their livelihood is thinking like a business person and doing sales. 
and picking up different skills that will help them be independent. So what advice would you give an artist who's just starting to think, okay, I want to really push what I'm doing, especially at this time during a pandemic, what could they be doing that would help them? If I had three pieces of advice that have been completely fantastic for me for starting up fundraise.com, the biggest thing for me was writing a business plan. And it wasn't overly complex. I used a really simple template and a planning process so that I had something in just two or three days. And what it's done for me is just helped me be really laser focused on the types of services I'm offering. Having this sort of an anchor, that plan as an anchor, is fantastic because this is a very uncertain time. Like, There's a million things going on. Nonprofit needs are going up and down, and it's so easy to get lost in what should I do and what can I do and you know, write the business plan. And every time you start to feel uneasy, you can look at that thing. Like I try to schedule, for example, that every three months I would schedule a few hours to check in on this plan and make sure I'm still on track, if I'm reaching targets, if I'm learning things. Because many of us are feeling unmoored, (laughs) that plan can really provide a lot of direction and focus. The second thing, which I sort of was saying before, is that having a good network is so key. And, you know, thinking about who you want to nurture, like your former colleagues, um, maybe board or committee members you've worked with, school friends, other entrepreneurs, it's really helpful to former clients. For me, it's been the most encouraging part of this whole process. And of course, normally I prefer meeting up in person with people. It's just the best way to nurture a network, but engaging through phone and video calls is also really great. And the advice I've gotten, it's just been invaluable. Great tips as well as cautions, introductions to potential clients. When I think about when I was starting up fundraise.com, for example, and I bet you for a lot of artists, this is the big question mark is the money, right? How long before I can expect to have steady revenues? Like how much should I have saved? How do I structure fees? How much can I ask for and how much is reasonable? So I did my own research on this, of course, but What really helped me figure things out was talking to other entrepreneurs and hearing what they had learned from their own experience. I think that's my number two piece of advice. And my third piece of advice, which I think is really, really important, is to make self-care a priority, especially during a pandemic. You know, the the plan is the anchor, your network or your friends and your love and your um, and, and advice. And then you have to take care of yourself as well because There's so much uncertainty already just trying to be an entrepreneur. And then these are supremely anxious times. Um, It's been very helpful for me to schedule in care for my mental and physical health and figuring out what works for me in that case, if it's gardening or reading. And my family doctor has been really great in helping me sort out affordable mental health services that these things help you maintain the courage and emotional strength that you need to take on the challenge of entrepreneurship and the challenge of the pandemic itself. Another uh, entrepreneur I spoke to who, you know, we were talking about this issue of self-care and she had a great suggestion, which I haven't tried out yet, but I want to do it. She's, she says that she keeps a journal of the good times, you know, the successes, because there are going to be lows. And then when, you know, you go through those lows that you pull out your journal and it reminds you, yeah, I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm doing this good thing. And yeah, those are, those are my tips. 
I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's so important. I find that, yeah, in moments of crises, like when there's a lot going on, we, we um, forget to really slow down and think about how to take care of ourselves. And it's so important because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others or even your business or your work. So you have to first start there. It's so important. So thank you. And it's not about don't wait till you have something to fix. It's about like, think of all the things that you invest into your business. You're going to invest your time um, because maybe you're going to do a website and get some business cards. And then you're going to, maybe you're going to invest money in, in equipment or in a Zoom subscription or something like that. So why not be healthy as well? <laughs> invest some time in making sure that you are bringing your best self, your strongest self to this endeavor. And on that topic of maintaining a healthy environment and mental well-being, how has working from home affected you or how has the the pandemic affected you and, and the way that you work? I'm used to working from home. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've been working from home even before there were all these great tools like I had dial-up internet and a landline and so I had a million different phone numbers for people to reach me. And I had to always remember to email myself files to my personal email because you couldn't check your work email from home. But this is a different animal. It's so much easier to work from home now. But yeah, it becomes difficult because you do miss the connection. There's not a choice, right? I, I think it's nice to have a choice so that you can either go into the office or you can keep working from home. So. Then I thought, oh, well, Zoom is so great because then you can see your colleagues and and uh, see people. But then you get this thing called Zoom fatigue and you start to not like people anymore because <laughs> like people who I love in person, I can't be friends with them on Zoom, you know. So for me, it's it's just been about and I'm sure people feel the same way about me. Like, you know, the ice cream truck is constantly going by or my dog starts parking. Or... So what I've just learned is take it sort of minute by minute and uh, figure out what works. I've learned a few strategies of tracking my time. I have a goal of how much I want to work each day or each week. And I track my hours um, because when you're working at home, it can time means sometimes means nothing. And, and I think time in a pandemic means nothing. It, it's very easy to either work 12 hours or 45 minutes. And so really tracking my time, setting specific goals of what I want to do. And you know, if I'm tired of Zoom, I use it quite a bit, but then I, I take a break and I switch over to phone. And definitely getting outside uh, to take breaks and putting like plants on my desk space. So yeah, making, making the space comfortable because it appears that for those who can do it, who are able to work from home, again, in many ways, it's a privilege and that it's you know, we can stay safe and so on. But for many of us, we're going to be working at home for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I think it's really important to keep track of your time in anything that you do. Even if you're a job seeker and you're looking for work, sometimes you get so focused on, I have to find a job right now, that you spend hours and hours looking for the right job online and 
sending out applications. And so uh, it becomes overwhelming. And, and that can impact your mental health. And that's interesting because it can also, you, you know, you're right about that. You can spend way too much time on LinkedIn, scrolling through things and reading things. And, and then you stop being effective or productive, or I don't know what the word is. But um, again, sometimes just as something as simple as setting a goal and saying, I also set timers for myself. I'm going to work on my website, for example. And I set a timer and I give myself maybe 45 minutes to do that because for that, for me, that's easy. So I will do that for six hours because it's easy. But then something like today I will do client search and I'll spend 45 minutes on it. And it feels like 12 hours because I don't like doing it as much. So I have to actually set a timer to say, yeah, I'm going to spend this much time on this activity and just being again, um, having a plan and, and also having a plan, but being willing to, to break the plan and break the rules a little bit if, if it's not feeling so great. Again, being flexible. This is a pandemic after all, and you have to take care of yourself. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Ruth. You've shared such great advice, and I really look forward to hearing more about your business and, and working with you in the future. Okay, thank you again for having me. And I should also mention too that my website is live. It's at comfundraising.ca. And um, and I can also be reached by email at ruth at comfundraising.ca. So thank you again. This has been uh, really fun to talk with you today, Mona. Thank you for listening to Working Culture's Job Board Success Stories. For more information on other Working Culture resources, please visit our website, workingculture.ca, and subscribe to our newsletter to receive job board updates, news, and trends. Join us for our next episode or contact us at info at workingculture.ca to share your success story. Thanks so much, everyone.